Okay, so now for our second message of today. It's brought to us by Barnabas Grayson, entitled Purpose for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. plan to stay a little longer. The bag, in case you're wondering. I know you're going to be watching this for the rest of the sermon. Gonna, whoops. You see how quick those reactions were? I'm surprised. Once again, you're getting handout with a lot of scriptures on them, but won't cover them all. Maybe, maybe not. So raise your hand if you need uh, one of those handouts. You know, in Old Testament times, leaven had to be removed from the houses before the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread began, just as we do today. And the instruction that was given to us was and is to eat unleavened bread for seven days. Also, as the sentence says, that we must eat unleavened bread. So the first day, and that's today, is a holy convocation. And the seventh day is also a holy convocation. And today in New Testament times, the feast is about separation from sin, of which leaven is a type. So the seven days, it being seven, the number seven, it means complete removal, and since seven is the number of completion. And to partake of the unleavened bread, which symbolizes, this unleavened bread symbolizes the bread of life that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, in which there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. So today we'll look at the purpose for this feast of the unleavened bread. And uh, we're going to probably walk, maybe run through a few scriptures as you have them before you. The first part, I want to talk about communion. Communion with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10.6 it says this. And we heard this read uh, at the uh, Last Supper. It says that the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? That is the partaking or partnership of the blood of Christ. And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The word communion also means participation. It also means fellowship. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, this is about the testimony of the apostle, saying in verse 3, that which we have seen, that which we the apostles have seen and heard, declare we unto you. So they're transmitting those words that Jesus taught them, that Jesus spoke to them. That you also may have fellowship. Same word as communion is here, right here, meaning partnership with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son 
Jesus Christ. So our fellowship is not with really the world that we live in. Our fellowship is with Jesus Christ. So when you have fellowship with someone, you share things. You share interests, even as we today with writers such as, such as uh, John. So when you have a fellowship, you've got something that's going together that you can share with one another. Now, before the partaking of the bread and the wine at the Last Supper, what were we to do? It says we were to examine ourselves. For it says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. To have communion, to have fellowship, to partake, to participate in uh, the wine and the bread. So when we examine ourselves, uh, just like perhaps you, uh, sometimes we talked about how a doctor might, you know, uh, examine you. He'd listen to your heartbeat. He would uh, check your blood pressure. And um, he would do all those things to find out just what's going wrong with you, which is why probably sometimes I don't really want to go to the doctor for a checkup. But it is an endeavor. It is a, a fact that we have to scrutinize ourselves, to discipline ourselves, and to try oneself and ask ourselves, am I a good Christian? So we ask ourselves, am I a doer of the word, or am I just a hearer? only have I broken any commandments have I been diligent in seeking God but you know often this diligence that we have means looking into every little corner every little crevice to find that leaven which may be in the form of bread or some leavened product and throw them out but that's one thing but it's the eating of unleavened bread that is the focus of this week not only physically but also spiritually so we we came together in remembrance of the last supper of Christ on earth to remember what Jesus did for us that night in which he was betrayed and to renew our communion with Jesus Christ so in the book of John we read of things that transpired that night that we uh, reenacted. There was the washing of the disciples' feet. And it was uh, an example to us that we should wash one another's feet. And an example to us also that we should be uh, available to someone whenever they are in need of us. The other was the special sharing of the bread and wine and what it meant. And we saw Jesus' love and his prayer for us and how he laid down his life for us and how he said, as this table in front of us says, this do in remembrance of me. So it is a memorial. It was a remembrance till the Lord uh, returns and we do show his death uh, till he returns. So the apostle, the apostle wrote, though he was not there of that last supper because he was taught by, directly by Jesus Christ about the meaning of the bread and wine. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, for I, that's Paul, I have received of the Lord that which, I, which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, 
gave thanks, took bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do, in remembrance of me. And so we did that. So after the same manner also, he took the cup, which he had, uh, when he had supped, that is after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as, as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So we remember the blood and the body of Christ, his sacrifice, and have communion with him. Sometimes during our life, you know, not just at the uh, Last Supper, when, you know, the bread is passed around and when the uh, uh, wine is, uh, is uh, taken, uh, you know, sometimes we picture what it means. Now, even after that, say next week or next month or sometime when we have uh, another bottle of wine or some bread, it's also a reminder for it's an ongoing uh, symbol of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Again, in 1 Corinthians verse 17, uh, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And for which, you know, for that we can, we can be thankful for that uh, meaning, that he paid the price for all our sins and all our wrongdoings. Verse 17, for we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that uh, one bread. So today, that is, you know, we partook of that, and we are all one body. And we see that as a description of the church with many members who have communion in, uh, with Christ. You know that bread is made up of, of many grains, <clears throat> but they all form one unit or one body or one loaf in Christ. And that we, are, uh, that we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, he wrote, along with Timothy, he wrote in Colossians 1, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual knowledge. Spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light and who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have redemption through his blood. We even, it says, the forgiveness of sin, verse 14. Drop down to verse 21. <clears throat> it says to some of us, or I would say probably most of us, I would say maybe all of us. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And verse 23, that big word, two-letter word that Lawrence talked about one time in the sermon. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, was uh, made a minister. So, on to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We see Paul's benediction here. Uh, finally, brethren, fare well. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So when you do those things, you're, we are in fellowship. We are in communion with Christ because we are partakers of that love and that peace that he looks for in us. Greet one another with an holy kiss. I suppose most of us like prefer shaking hands. I don't know how they did that in those days. But all the saints salute you. He's telling the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy uh, Spirit be with you all. So be it. Then in 1 John, verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, 6, it says, if we say that we have fellowship, that is, if we say we have partnership or communion with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That means that if we claim a Christian fellowship, with Jesus Christ, yet walk in ways that do not match the things that do not match the word of God, doing things that we shouldn't do, we're not living in the truth, but living a lie. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin just like we go and look for leaven in our houses Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin sometime it is through trial or self discovery that we that we find you know uh, that he finds uh, what Christ is looking for us in us something that we need to get rid of in our life so together we share the word of the Lord that shows us the way, that shows us the truth, and shows us uh, the light. Now while some of us, of course, may be babes in Christ, there are those who are probably, we could refer to as, as salty veterans in the Christian uh, faith or as Christian soldiers. But we still must walk in the light so that we are able to see and understand more and more what it is to walk in righteousness and to uh, see even our shortcomings. So the words of Christ will have a cleansing effect on us. But if we say we, that we have no sin, 
We just deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verse 3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, let's drop down to verse 7 there. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly, eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It says he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this, we find a partnership, a communion, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Just as we find a communion, a fellowship, a partnership, a participation in family between husband and wife as Christ, the head of the church. So it is our continued partnership with Christ that is going to save us. The daily walk in the light of God's word of having fellowship. So still, we have this uh, this proviso, this, this warning that there is a condition attached to this agreement. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, it says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Our communion must be steadfast and be with Christ. And it, as it says, we must eat unleavened bread. So today we begin the seven days of the feast of unleavened bread. The Apostle Paul, he said to uh, observe it, unleavened bread with sincerity and truth. And when you read uh, Leviticus 23, on the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, to the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So you see that word, it just says it, you must eat unleavened bread. But we know that this is not just for one week. While we eat the physical unleavened bread for uh, one week, it is the keeping of the feast, the spiritual uh, aspects of the feast for the rest of our Christian life in communion with Christ. So the Apostle Paul, he was inspired to write this to those Corinthians, to the church then, and which has been passed on to our time today, that we, in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5, that we are to purge out the old leaven, to clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, that you may be a fresh batch of dough, as you are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So... Christ's sacrifice has made us unleavened already. But we are to get rid of old leaven. Clean it out that we may be a new lump. So in our lives, we, know, we perhaps know that this past year has, has been one of ups and downs in our, in our Christian walk. Some of us have suffered pain, worry, endured trials of various sorts. But yet, during that time, we do have the Sabbath days as, as, as a rest stop. And at this time of year, just like uh, in the spring, we, we find it is a refreshing time 
of renewal to come back into the light so out of the darkness of you know the winter and so on we come into the light again because you know weather can have an effect on our mood it does me anyway so in second corinthians let's go over there for a moment uh, in verse six it says for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We, are this, we have this treasure, this knowledge, this wisdom uh, uh, of Christ and of God in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And it says we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Because knowing that he suffered in the same manner as we did. As some of us do. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Through faith, through endurance, through patience, and so on. Back to uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. Therefore, he says, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice, that is, you know, having ill will towards someone, or wickedness, which is evil, but to keep it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You heard that in the first message. So keeping the feast of unleavened bread means three things that has a spiritual meaning for us. It means to clean out the old leaven, that is, the leaven in our life. It means to partake of the unleavened bread, that is the bread of life, that is Jesus, and keeping the feast with purity and truth. As we know, this feast originated back in the day, uh, days of the children of Israel being freed from Egyptian bondage when they left in haste without taking any leaven with them. In years past, <clears throat> there have been many sermons that have gone by where we have learned that leaven is viewed as a type of sin and that Egypt is seen as a type of sin and like sin has a hold or a, uh, on people who are in bondage to it in cruel, oppressive, and ungodly ways. So in remembrance of that, God instituted this feast for us in which to remember it, remember it each year. Leviticus 23 <coughs> explains why we're here. These are the feasts of the Lord in verse 4. Even holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their seasons. So these feasts have appointed times in which to gather. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must, you must eat unleavened bread. And... <clears throat> Some may wonder, some may ask, and those that do uh, see what we're doing, some may ask, well, why do you do this? That's Old Testament works. It's, it's done away in Christ. You don't have to do it. Well, we do this because we know of the commandment in Deuteronomy that says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So one of the ways we show our love toward God is keeping the appointed times, these feasts, and uh, by keeping his commandments and to have an attitude of love 
toward fellow man and an attitude of obedience, of following the example of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. So this is a feast unto the Lord. And, it, and as it says, again, you must eat unleavened bread. Verse 19 of Exodus 12, it says, Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your house. For whosoever eats that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or one born in the land. You shall eat nothing, nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Deuteronomy 16, I'm just going to read verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Uh, seven days shall you uh, eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. So uh, it's also called the bread of affliction because you came forth out of the land of Egypt in haste that you may remember uh, the day when you came out. I think many of us probably remember the day we began to think about God, think about Jesus Christ, to think about our way uh, in life, what it's supposed to be about, and what we should be doing, how we should live it. And we know there had to come a change, which probably didn't come very easy, a change in our thinking, because nevertheless, there was this load of guilt, perhaps it's a load of, uh, of shame, uh, this sin in which we needed forgiveness. Some of us, when I was first counseled, my wife and I, we were counseled for baptism. Uh, the, the two ministers said there were two kinds of uh, repentance. One is emotional. One is where you really feel sorry about your sins, about the things that you've done. And the other is intellectual, and intellectual repentance <coughs> that where it just made sense that there is a God, that, there, that he's real, and that there is something to the righteousness that is expressed in the Bible. Then we were baptized, and with us came the joyful knowledge that our sins were washed away by the blood of the body of Jesus Christ. Some of us had more sins than others. Some of us had an emotional repentance. Some of us had an intellectual repentance repentance and sometimes the two combine to make us uh, want to call upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ but <clears throat> then came the laying on of hands through which we uh, have the Holy Spirit which uh, means everlasting life when Christ returns but you know we clean, we clean the cracks in the corners and under things pulled out drawers and uh, in search of leaven to get rid of but all that is a physical thing. And as we did this, we wonder well, why we're doing this. It's just a part of the celebration of unleavened bread designed to make us think, to think of how prevalent sin is in this world that we live in, in this age that we live in, to see the world around us where there is death and dying and sorrow that is ongoing in this world. Now, we know we're not perfect. I know I am not perfect. So no matter how diligent we are in uh, searching for that leaven, getting rid of physical leaven, even the bad habits in our life or the sins that so easily beset us from time to time, we're bound to discover, you know, a crumb or two. But 
Will that cut us off from God? Should we find a cracker, uh, uh, perhaps a piece of a bread or something? It's not. The only real leaven is the sinful acts that will do that, no matter how big or little it might be. So sin, we see, must be cast out because it can do damage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 6 through 8, as, as uh, uh, Curtis mentioned, there were problems of division in that church, and there was gross uh, immorality. It says in verse 1, it is actually reported commonly, that is, actually, that there is fornication, which is sexual immorality, among you, such as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. But you're puffed up. You have not rather mourned, and he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So it is here in the New Testament where we see what the Old Testament piece of unleavened bread means for us today. Now this letter was written before the feast of the Passover and the seven days of unleavened bread. Here we see that the church had spots of division and gross immor immorality. Here we see that one of the members had to be removed as an example of sin and leaven. So Paul uses it. He uses it as an, an analogy for separating from, uh, from the leaven of sin. So this person had to be removed from fellowship. Being it being such an atrocious thing that ought not to be. But instead they were proud and arrogant, rather uh, not mournful. And that sin was tolerated among them. Apparently the whole church knew about it. But most probably were only concerned about their own self. Their own righteousness. Concerned how that, uh, not concerned about how that impurity could affect the rest of of the congregation. And he said in verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So purge out the old leaven. Get rid of, uh, of the leaven and be a fresh uh, lump. Second Timothy. It says that no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. So there is a discipline that we are to pay attention to as we live, as we walk as soldiers of Jesus. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And so in verse 7 it says we are to submit ourselves to God. To resist the devil. Verse 8 to draw nigh to God. To cleanse, your hand, to cleanse our hands sinners. And to purify your hearts. And these sinners are told to do. To be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let their laughter their unconcern be turned to mourning. And the joy to heaviness. They were all, the sinners, are, sometimes are, they're real happy and laugh, but they're happy and joyful for all the wrong reasons. 
So humble yourselves, in verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, we see where Christ suffered for us, left us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth that when he was reviled, that is, when he was criticized, verbally uh, abused and scorned, he didn't revile again in the same manner. And he suffered. When he suffered, he threatened not, uh, and, but committed himself to him that judges rightly. Because we know sometimes that there are things that we do not need to entangle ourselves in, uh, in, in avenging ourselves in anger. But vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. So we're to live in <clears throat> doing what is right, not unto malice, but be in Christ. Jesus. For lack of time, let's uh, go on down to John chapter 6, or 1 Corinthians, oh yeah, John chapter 6. Verily, verily, verse 47, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. And he says, I am that bread of life. And remember, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So we know we see that the feast of unleavened bread is not done away, and we're to keep it, as Paul said, in sincerity and in truth. I might have a little time to uh, pull the cat out of the bag here. Yeah. Get back in there. Ah, it's a Walmart sack. Want to illustrate a little bit about attitude. <laughs> I had this hanging in the garage for maybe about three or four years, and the wings have sort of sagged. And uh, I, I made this just on a whim, but I thought i got to find a use for this. And so I thought, well, attitude, that's what I'll do. I'll just use this for attitude. On an airplane, is there any, are there any pilots in here that fly, may fly an airplane? Real pilot? Fly a jet, something like that? Is that art? Oh. <laughs> you flow one of these? <laughs> Now, he can correct me, and he always does, but on an airplane instrument panel is an attitude director indicator. Is that right, ADI? Got that right, what do you know? Now, I'm not a pilot. I only know about this because I have a flight simulator program. <laughs> anyway, the instrument on the ADI, and this, you know, this is not up to date, so there, I don't know if there was an instrument, the pilot, because 
When I saw these, see these planes in the movies, you know, the pilot, he's always looking out to the left, looking out to the right, up, down, you know. So he was the, uh, he had to keep up with where he was in attitude. So this instrument, though, informs the uh, uh, pilot, gives him the, uh, that, uh, the orientation of the aircraft relative to Earth's uh, horizon. And while in flight, the plane should be level uh, with the horizon as shown on the ADI. And when climbing, the plane uh, loses sight of, uh, of the horizon. It is, everything starts turning blue. And the ground it sort of just disappears. And as it climbs, and the steeper it climbs, it'll lose um, speed, won't it, Art? And what will happen, sometimes stunt pilots know this. I think artists probably tried this before. It'll drop straight down, go down. But then these stunt pilots will use that to, you know, make it look thrilling. And it is. We know that when, the <coughs> when you're going down, could pick up speed and not have enough room to pull up before you crash. I know one time I was on the flight simulator that uh, my son and I weren't paying attention to the to the uh, ADI, which is probably maybe a bit, a little bit like that little dial, and all of a sudden we crashed because we did we weren't watching the uh, ADI. Now we know that when the wings are tipped down to the left. You're going to go left. When it's tipped to the right, you're going to go right. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking liberal, some maybe conservative. <laughs> but the whole thing is that adjust balance is right there in the middle. So that's, you've got to stay level with the horizon. So the pilot, while flying, must watch his attitude indicator tip too sharply. The plane could go into a spin and uh, all that. So the pilot, while flying, he has to watch that in, uh, attitude indicator. He must know the weather conditions. He know, needs to know uh, the direction he's going, north, south, east, or west, and western where. Not fly off course. He needs to know his speed and altitude, how much gas he has in his tank, and, and, and a lot of other things. So attitude is defined as a settled way of thinking or feeling. It's how our mind thinks about things and how we feel toward them. It's a state of mind toward something. And attitudes are shaped by outside forces. First, by our parent, parents, family, friends, things we grow up with. Then we are influenced by what goes on in our culture religion, politics, and the society in which we live. But it's a complicated world we live in. There are many ideas, philosophies, ways that can affect the way we think and feel about our faith, about our belief, about our hopes. A lot of things we wake up to each morning and must sort through in order to adjust our attitude. So we ask ourselves, what is our attitude? What is our attitude that we have toward the Word of God in the Bible? What is our attitude toward church, toward the church brethren, toward our beliefs? Is it just a passing thing? So we 
ask ourselves, are we watching our attitude? You ever, uh, you ever tell someone or someone tell you uh, you're in a bad attitude? My wife tells me that all the time. There she is. <laughs> so in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice that is holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Matthew chapter 5, we turn these attitudes into the B attitudes. So we have here a checklist that we can go through. Like, blessed are the poor, the humble in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when men shall revile you falsely for my, my name's sake, for my sake. But, verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So all of us have an inheritance that is waiting for us. So, in Ephesians 5, I'm not going to read uh, this, but uh, it just tells us how to be followers of God as dear children. As we take this walk in an unleavened way. It's reading, uh, there are a lot of people who are caught up in the world. For example, in uh, church attendance, uh, 2013, Pew Research reported 37% of all Americans attended church only 37% of all American attended church on a weekly basis. Gallup reported as about 39-40%. And I read in one article that if you were to freeze the U.S. on any Sunday morning, you might find fewer than 40% of the country's adults actually in churches. Usually it's because uh, some may be sick or too tired or have something else going on. But I would gather that this Easter Sunday, that attendance will probably be up. I know on the way over here uh, the other night that uh, the big church down at the end by the BA, cars were pulling in and the parking lot was really filling up. <coughs> now, there's this little boy. He was late for Sunday school, or Sunday school class. And the teacher, as he tried to sneak in, the teacher said, said why are you late? Well, uh, the little boy said, I started to go fishing. But my dad said I couldn't. But I better go on to church. And the teacher said, well, your dad was right. And did he explain to you why you should go to church on Sunday? Little boy said, yes, he did. He said there wasn't enough bait for the rest of us, <laughs> for the two of us. So we must partake 
always be about, as Curtis said, laboring for the gospel, laboring for Christ. You remember the letters uh, uh, that, were, that we see in the book of Revelation where attention was called to what kind of attitude that they were to have and to readjust their life. Some had lost their first love. Some were morally compromising. Some were tolerating false doctrine. Some looked church-like, but they were spiritually dead. Some were deceived by their riches and were lukewarm. And Jesus said to them to repent, or I will remove your candlestick. So the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread symbolize a life of breaking free of the bondage of sin, of overcoming sin, and of answering the calling of God to Jesus, and of having communion with Christ. Jesus tells us that he is that bread of life, and this is for which we pray the daily uh, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Final reference is Ephesians chapter 4. It's a chapter that emphasizes some of the things a Christian should uh, uh, diligently uh, do. Verse 22, put off concern, concerning the former conversation the old man. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 24, put on the new man created in righteousness and true holiness. 25, put away lying, speak every man truth. 26, be ye angry and sin not, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that steal, steal no more. And 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all uh, malice. So, you know, we get rid of the sin, the physical sin, uh, physical leaven. But here we're getting rid of the spiritual leaven. Be kind one to another. So we want to run a race and we have to pace ourselves. Yet we walk in faith. So, point one, be ever in communion with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And to purge out sin. And to maintain a right attitude. And keep the spirit of the feast. It's not just for seven days. But for a lifetime partaking and fellowship and communion with the bread of life. And knowing this. That greater love has no man than this. That we, he lay down his life for his friends. And as Jesus said. You are my friends. <coughs> if you do whatsoever. I have commanded you.